0: hey everyone this is james wilson with mtb strength training systems and welcome back to another bike james podcast today i've got a special guest that i'm going to be talking to uh brad thorpe with isofit brad thanks for joining us today
1: james thank you man it's an absolute pleasure and i look forward to a a wonderful conversation today
0: awesome so uh, i wanted to go into your uh your, your your background a little bit here because some people may be wondering you know Who is Brad Thorpe and why am I having you on the podcast? And so um, I've been following you for uh, I forget how long. I I know it's been at least a couple of years, maybe longer than that uh, with the with the ISO fit um, stuff and just really uh, interested in what you're doing with that. But you are uh, considered by many to be the world's leading expert in isometric strength training which is one of the main reasons that I wanted to have you on because I'm a a big fan of isometrics and and, I've been trying to spread the word about their benefits to the mountain biking community. So having someone like you on, uh, you know, really helps with that. Um, You're a serial entrepreneur, which I can definitely (laughs) relate with. Um, Keep buying yourself jobs is is how I basically uh, translate that. Um, Multi-patent inventor of isofit and an educator. I've had over 30 years of experience in the fitness and performance industry. Uh, you launched IsoFit in 2015, and you've grown the IsoFit family to 350 plus uh, members, or basically, you know, facilities and, and people who are using the IsoFit um, uh, invention across 31 countries. And you've got a pretty impressive list of uh, high, you know, profile um, organizations that ha- that are actually using IsoFit. So, including the U.S. Army. Uh, the FBI, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Minnesota Timberwolves, Houston Rockets, Miami Heat, New Orleans Pelicans, Philadelphia 76ers, Detroit Tigers, uh, UCLA, and most recently the Red Bull Athlete Performance Center has, has adopted it and started using it. So um, pretty impressive list of people who are, are using it. And again, I think a lot of people don't even, you know, they probably never even heard of ISOFIT and don't even realize that it's already made its way to some pretty high level um, uh, people who are, who are applying it. And so, and finally in 2006, you became the 21st specialist to hold the combined resistance training specialist mastery level, level specialist and the muscle activation techniques, certified specialist designation. So, uh, basically you're more than qualified to talk on this stuff. You've got a lot of experience in it. And so, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, talk to you about your, your experience and some of the things that you found, and so I guess just kind of kicking off, um, just, just give us kind of the, the you know, your general background in, in fitness and athletics and performance training and just kind of, I guess, like your origin story, if you will. Uh, and we'll kind of get into more specific stuff with isometrics and isofit. But kind of how did you get started on this journey? Man, it goes back, obviously, a long time ago.
1: Um, but one of the things, like way, way back in high school, Um, I enjoyed exercise, like I started exercising for sport performance. And at that point, we're going back to the late 80s, um, early 90s timeframe when exercise wasn't really a thing. Um, You know, you you had it the occasional time. So for me, it was about the, the development and exploration of how do I get stronger for sport? And how do I, you know, kind of reduce the rate of injury? or the risk of injury. And that sort of led me kind of on my journey. And the reason that I got into the exercise industry was because my mom's dad died of a massive heart attack when she was 15 years old, so I never met my grandfather. And then as I'm going through this journey, um, I developed and figured out that I had actually developed hypertension myself. So at 19 years old, my blood pressure was 150 over 100. I was exercising six days a week. Um, I was doing everything quote unquote, right. And, you know, that sort of really was a catalyst behind me sort of, you know, diving really into this. It's like, why am I as an athlete? Why do I have heart issues? Like, that's what they say. If you want to be healthy, do cardio training, Mm -hmm. Um, lift weights, eat healthy, don't drink very much. So I was doing all those things. But at 19 years old, my blood pressure was 150 over 100. Um, So at that point I I was in college for fitness lifestyles management so that's a a three year program in Toronto, and we were geared towards cardiovascular rehabilitation and that's how we uh, figured that I had this, this sort of issue out, and it's like okay well why, like this makes no sense, and that just started me kind of on a journey, got me into personal training. Um, you know, so you're able to earn some pretty good coin back in the 80s or back in the early 90s during personal training, which allowed me to sort of travel a little bit and more so really kind of jump down this bandwagon. And, and, you know, in 2000, really 2002 is when I started the RTS journey, the MAT journey, where these were two cutting edge programs at the time that sort of said, hey. The RTS program said, let's focus on the mechanics of exercise, like the why behind you, like why would you give an exercise? And the MAT approach was a great way to sort of analyze the muscular system to see if it was functioning at an optimal level. And they gave us the tools to basically break down the neuromuscular system division by division. So you get assessed to see if that tissue was working properly. And then with the combined programs, like, hey, great. We got the exercise side. We got the assessment and sort of therapeutic side so we can re-engage that muscular system. And one of the things that I noticed with my own journey was after taking both of these programs, my blood pressure still sucked. And it's like, well, that's no good. Like, here I am, one of the world's leading experts in subject area, but yet I can't fix myself. Mm -hmm. And then in 2008, I heard about a study at McMaster University that looked at isometric based exercise. And traditionally, just to give your audience an understanding where the the mindset was with isometrics, um, I'm assuming your audience knows because you talked about it isometrics a lot so i won't necessarily explain that but it's about learning how to contract muscle without changing a joint angle and you can yep. upregulate yes. the force tension and everything like that so traditionally what they'd say if you had blood pressure issues don't do it uh so i right. didn't right. you know so it's like okay cool well i'm not doing my blood i'm not doing isometrics for for myself i'm using them to like high high benefit for my clients and then in 2000 you know this study came out in 2008 and they sort of said hey do isometrics i was like what And what they found was a isometrics was the equivalent of a single pharmaceutical agent for lowering blood pressure. So I jumped at this and it was like two weeks later, my blood pressure after 14 years was normalized. Um, and it's been 14 years since and I consistently do isometrics. So it wasn't like do it once and it's resolved. It's do mm-hmm. it consistently and maintain it. Uh, So that that was basically my journey. And, you know, so resolved my blood pressure issue in two weeks after 14 years, as I said, Um, and then we just basically started to implement it. And a couple of years later, it's like, okay, if it's great for blood pressure reduction. And I was like an athlete. So I was like, you know, my twenties and thirties were spent basically in a level of chronic pain, uh, just all the injuries and stuff like that, because like, Hey, we're exercising to be healthy and all of this. And, but yet our sports that we do are injurious and all of this stuff. So I've been announced dead on a field. Like I played competitive lacrosse. So I went head first in the boards, knocked unconscious, announced dead on the field, um, whether I actually died or not, we don't know. However, I was on like on the field or the, 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 the arena floor for 45 minutes. Um, So then, you know, so we had that call it near death experience, if you will. Um, So all kinds of stuff. So twenties and thirties spent in chronic pain. Then I'm like, wait, if it helped this quick for my blood pressure, why don't I just stop doing dynamic exercise? Cause every time I do it, I end up injured or end up hurt and dealing with this pain. So, you know, I removed that from my life almost like eight years ago, and for the most part, I haven't experienced chronic pain at all. Um, mm. So it's like, if you get rid of the stimulus that leads to the pain, maybe the pain goes away. So it's like, I was smart enough to realize what it was, um, you know, and traditionally, as you know, we're sold exercise as, you know, the health, the end all and be all of, you know, you know, now mental health and physical health, but yet most people I've dealt with for 20 years have been injured by exercise. Uh, so it's like, oh, damn. And it's, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying how do you prepare for it how do you figure out how you're going to enjoy it because obviously you guys do mountain biking and you guys uh you know hats off to you you guys are just like a different breed of nuts
0: uh,
1: <laughs> yeah you some know, of us
0: are for sure
1: <laughs> you know and as i sort of described as we were talking off air it's like you know to me it's like well how, why, why would isometrics fit in with mountain biking and it's like well you know i work with some pretty large football players you know, so mountain biking and the forces and the velocities and the impact um, of mountain biking—you know, hitting that ground, hitting a tree, falling off—trying to prevent all of that, i.e., stay on path, um, hugely important. And uh, so, how do we sort of help with that from a vision perspective, a strength and stability perspective, a muscle engagement? Perspective? Perspective, and more importantly, an enjoyment perspective. Because if you're injured, you know doing anything sucks. So let let's let's you know explore those reasons as to why to do isometrics. Um, you know, and one of the things I was listening to your podcast yesterday, and I was believe it Ryan Leach, I think. Uh, um yes. You know, so Ryan and you guys were talking about um, you know tech, and you know how you rem- how it's basically it's gotten to a level where it's so pervasive. It's like, hey, I'm videotaping myself, um, you know. Riding down the, you know, riding down the trail, and it's like, let's just come back to a sense of normalcy and, you know, enjoy it. Um, you know, yep. I'm running into this uh, with uh, exercise and sports science. I mean, everything now has to be tested and stuff like that. Where it's, you know, uh, athletes are becoming lab rats. Uh, athletes are becoming disinterested um, in training um, as well. So we, we're starting to see that, um, and some of my clients. Not to occupy the, like the, you know all the airwaves, but some of my clients are out of um, basically Silicon Valley. The one thing they love about IsoFit is we don't measure tech. Like we have no tech. It's just mm-hmm. pulled into an immovable object, which is fantastic. So they're going like, "Oh my god, I get a break mentally." Uh, so I can actually just have that mind-body connection without having to look at a clock, having to record myself, having to compete against myself from a, a measure perspective. And yeah. it, it's hugely it's hugely important in certain scenarios, but not always. So yeah. that's kind of, you know, nutshell, um, you know, my journey. And um, each day it's uh, it starts early, ends late. They blend together. And, uh, you know, as I said, we're in. As you said, we're in 31 different countries now. So we have lots of influential, high profile, amazing organizations that um, you know, we deal with. And the most recent one, which is um, Red Bull, um, you know, their athletic performance center, they have 247 different sports, give or take a couple, that I now ha- have to get sort of well versed in. So we can have conversations like this where it's like, how does iso fit? How does isometric strength training Im- like impact your sport? For sport performance, for injury prevention, and also ultimately uh, at a professional level, how do we maximize your return on your investment? How, how do we get that next contract signed? Um, and more importantly, how do we extend that career longer?
0: Yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah, Matt. That's, that's uh, very um, interesting. There's a lot of great points and, and things in there, man. I, your uh, your one of the points that you made that I definitely resonated with, with was um how I call it movement based strength training so I you know I have isometrics and then you've got movement based training and the movement based training you know it I it always leads to like me being sore and you know uh, I've, I've hurt my lower back trying to deadlift too much weight before and there's a lot of uh drawbacks to movement based training if you're using uh, like really high loads and, and, you know, high intensities with it. And the thing that I like about isometrics and and one of the things that I I try to explain to riders is that if you're, you can use isometrics to one, a lot of different things. um, but if you're using it to build strength, then you don't have to rely on the movement based stuff to build strength. So like if you want to do a deadlift, do a deadlift, but you're deadlifting because you're practicing, picking something up off the floor right like you're practicing a movement pattern i'm not trying to get stronger from doing a deadlift because i'm doing an isometric deadlift or you know isometric hip hinge in some way that's going to improve my strength in this uh in in this movement pattern but i i use the movement based stuff to practice the movement pattern and and you know you get better at practice if you're somewhere between like 60 to 80 percent right like you don't you don't improve your skill level, if you're at 100%, like that's survival, not, um, you know, a chance to improve your skill level. And so that, um, that balance of, of using isometrics to, to build the strength and and really is kind of like a core tenant, a part of your training program. And then if you want to do the movement based training, then that's fine. But because you're not using it to try and quote, unquote, get stronger then you're not pushing yourself as hard, which limits the injuries and limits the soreness. And so it, uh, um, you know, there's a way to to use them both. But that that insight that you talked about, like, man, whenever I really crank up the the movement-based training, the chronic injuries and the soreness and stuff come back. And so if you just focus on isometrics, and I had a similar experience myself where I just really cut out a lot of the movement-based stuff and focused on isometrics for a couple of years. And I, I look at it as almost like a, a, a reset, a body reset, you know, because like the isometrics made me stronger and just more in tune with my body. And so now that I've come back to doing some of the, the movement-based stuff, you know, I got a, a 17-year-old daughter that I, I work out with. And so we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do some of the core lifts just to build like some, some strength in that area. And I'm doing it again. It's like, man, I feel better than I did before because, like, I feel like the isometric side has really helped me with um, just understanding myself better. So, yeah, that's uh, it, it's yeah, that's really good uh, um, or interesting insights you got there. But yeah, keeping people healthy. You know, we got a lot of older riders, and so that aspect of uh, of you know, you're working with athletes to try to extend their career and and help them get another you know, extend that contract. But like for the average rider, extending your career may be just like, hey, I want to be able to ride into my sixties and seventies and, and beyond and not be, uh, you know, suffering the whole time. So how do I do that? And I think isometrics are a really big part in that, that picture. Well, it's really the only part,
1: um, you know, and that that offends a lot of people because they have such a bias towards motion based activity. But if, if you're looking at how muscles work, right, like let's just get to the fundamental basics of muscle physiology, Muscles, there's an up ramp, basically there's an upregulation regulation of isometric muscle tension before any dynamic movement, right? So it's kind of like if you take your bike and decided to unloosen, like to loosen the bolts on it, but you don't take them right off and you say, go drive, right? So one of the things that we do um, as a species, as we get older, we naturally lose height, right? We get shorter, right? So our length tension relationships of muscle structure naturally get looser right so it's like well how do we tighten the bolts before we move right because that's just logical if you're looking at your bike right you go yeah we just want to make sure like it's actually held together properly so the wheel doesn't pop off like our leg for the most part is not going to pop off but it's going to lead to an injury if we have laxity to our structure so if we look at it and go okay if i can improve the upregulation of isometric muscle tension for my lower body right oh my mid body and my arms and my cervical spine. Well, it's all important because when you're, you know, going down a trail at a 60 degree incline, which I mean, that may be uh, huge, or it may not be, or like, you know, jumping onto a curve. Like, do I have that ability to transmit force throughout my structure or not? Uh, Because there's these things like in um, physics, basically inertia. So the inertia is a consequence of accelerated motion. So as you're traversing down this hill, you know you go to turn you have to like your body has to tolerate all those turning forces right and when you change direction your muscular system if you're looking at torque right and torque is a rotational force that we have to deal with and basically torque is force times moment arm moment arm is basically a where you have a line of force you have an axis and you have a perpendicular line between that line of force and axis uh, sorry to get technical people uh, but it's important so if you have force times a moment arm, that's the equation for torque, right? And it's actually a static equation, right? It's, it's looking at this isometric occurrence and this period of time at this joint angle and this joint angle, this joint angle, this joint angle. So how that's relative to mountain bikers, if you don't have the ability to control turning, you crash, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, imagine that occurring in your body now. So we'll get rid of the bike, right? And we'll look at your training methods, right? Let's say, you know, you're looking at a dynamic lunge versus a static lunge. Well, during a dynamic lunge, that's the movement-based one. You have all this mass moving in space. You have the impact and the loading, and then you have basically, so you have what's an upregulation of isometric tension. You then have the concentric phase. Then you have a plateauing as you go through that constant. And then you have a negative acceleration or deceleration phase as you impact and shock absorb. But then you have to zero out, right? You have to create another isometric environment where you absorb that force and then re-engage into it again. So for every sort of phase of a movement, you have an isometric, a concentric, a constant, an eccentric, an isometric, an isometric, concentric, you know, and it just goes through that looping mechanisms. So what we're able to do is by training that we can get rid of all the jargon, right? Which is complicated, like wicked complicated to understand and say, Hey, can I contract muscle on demand when I need it? And if I can contract muscle on demand, when I need it, I'm less likely to fall off my bike. I'm my performance is going to go up through the roof, to be honest, because, you know, we talk about power development, we talk about strength, we talk about explosive strength. Um, one of the things you were talking about with, you know, Ryan, it, it's, you know, mountain biking is an anaerobic. An it's not really, yeah, aerobic's important, but it's also a very, very anaerobic sport mm-hmm. and activity. So if, if we can focus on maximizing that explosiveness isometrically, my God, it directly transfers over to the sport of mountain biking, as opposed to, Hey, I got to do bench presses, sit-ups, you know, chin-ups and all these dynamic things that really, to be honest, they don't transfer over because they're not really important to a mountain biker, right. Um, is how I would, is how I'd kind of phrase it. Um, yeah. And I do apologize for you people for getting more technical than I wanted to. Uh, but, but it's kind of important to understand that uh, it's not just do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 and don't worry about the technical stuff. I love that stuff, and and people that are listening to this podcast have heard me get technical about stuff. So if they're that's that's I think one of the reasons people like my podcast is because uh, I get technical um, about things. That's and why so, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and so that's the uh, you know just talking about the the torque and the moment arm. I mean, that's you know again like relating that to cornering. You know, one of the you know definitely one of the issues that people have with cornering is not being able to get their their hips in the right position and so they're basically not able to create the, the, the moment arm that can create the torque that can help them corner the bike properly and a big problem, you know, there there's thousands of riders who are investing in skills training camps when the reality is, is they don't possess the basic uh, stability in the positions that they need to be able to even execute the skills in the first place. And so they're, they're trying to learn how to corner properly when they don't even have the ability to stabilize themselves in the basic cornering position movement pattern or, or something like that. And so, um, so, yeah, I think that that's, you know, the, 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 the technical stuff is good because it actually helped me understand some of it better. But uh, um, it, I think that it is it's important to riders understand that if they wanna get better on the bike, uh, a big part of it is improving your technical skills and your, your stability in these positions plays a direct role with that. And so, uh, isometrics are one of the best ways to, or, you know, the best way really to, uh, to, to, to teach yourself how to do that. Um, you, you know, the skill of producing tension, like that was one of the, I went to a, a workshop by a guy named Steve Maxwell. I'm not sure if you're, uh, familiar with him, but he's, a um, a, a jujitsu guy and I've, I've done Brazilian Jitsu for a few years. So that's how I, I learned who he was, and I went to one of his workshops. And he's a, a huge advocate for isometric training. And he mm-hmm. introduced us to uh, a method of isometrics. Um, he called ramping isometrics, where you basically start with 30 seconds at 50% effort, and then 20 seconds at uh, like 75, 80% effort, and then finally 10 seconds at 100% uh, effort. And then he he took us through a couple exercises. Um, using that, and I was able to feel things and produce tension at a level that I'd never done before with movement-based stuff. And you know, I've been into you know a fitness professional since the late 90s, and so I thought I knew quite a bit. And so when he started talking about isometrics, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit and was like, (laughs) All right, I you know, I know where this is going, but man, he really you know, it, that experience opened my eyes to like, there's something going on here that we're not getting with movement based training. And yep. he said something about that changed my, my view of it. He said, the skill of producing tension is one thing. The skill of applying that tension to a movement is another thing. And yep. his whole thing was like isometrics help you improve the skill of creating tension. And then you can apply that tension to whatever it is you want to do your sport, your everyday activities if you you know want to lift weights it'll you know that that's fine not not necessary but some people like to lift weights they want to do you know the, the deadlifts and the presses and stuff and so but it, you can it, it'll help you with that but the the way we got it backwards is like using a movement skill like a deadlift or a bench press to try and improve our skill of creating tension and yep. you know isometrics allow us to bypass that and go directly to that tension creation skill And then we can apply it to whatever, uh, whatever we want to do. And so that's, that was really like, so like a big, you know, aha moment for me, but it sounds like that's kind of, you know, what you're, you know, touching on as well. Yeah. It's, um, when you, when you're looking at it and, you know, I could came to the realization this several years ago,
1: uh, I used to fight with a lot of people um, basically do this or don't. And it's like, really, I don't need to fight with anybody anymore because basically what you sort of alluded to. So isometrics is how you prepare for dynamic exercise, right? A dynamic movement and dynamic movement is the practice of the skill. Like that's all it is. It doesn't matter if you're mountain biking, that's a marketing term, right? You use a product, you go down a thing. I mean, you know, if you're an endurance cyclist, you call it a different marketing term, still same bike, Mm -hmm. different wheels, potentially different frames. Um, But that's the same across all sport, right? It literally is a marketing term of an activity, whether it's weightlifting, you know, all of a sudden you're Olympic lifting versus powerlifting. I mean, there's different requirements in the sport, but it's still dynamic. Now, here's an interesting concept that's usually lost um, and overlooked. A one RM, so one rep maximum, is not maximum strength training because it's actually submaximal to an isometric environment, but more importantly, it's slow velocity training, right? And yeah, can you get strong? Absolutely. However, could you generate more force in an isometric environment? Yes, um, provided the, the, the setup was right and it wasn't just like, I'm statically holding like a yoga position, like I'm you know pushing into an immovable object Um, You know, some people would call that overcoming. They're now sort of trying to switch that to what's called the PEMA, which is pushing isometric muscle action. Um, And the basically the yielding of now they sort of call it a holding isometric muscle action um, in a lot of the research and literature. Um, So what they're looking at is can I have an up regulation of isometric strength, right? Can I increase that peak strength? Then they'll break it down. They'll talk about explosive strength. Um, you know, then there's isometric strength endurance. Like how long can you sustain a high level of isometric contraction for a period of time? And then they get into the dynamic realm. But if you're incapable of generating high levels of isometric muscle tension, your ability to generate power or dynamic force Dramatically diminishes, right? And that is going to put you at risk of injury, um, you know, while you're doing the activity, right? And then you throw in the fact that we sh- shrink with aging, um, and you know, you probably didn't get really injured in activities until once again late twenties, early thirties, and it's like all of a sudden, why do why why do people start to retire, you know, in their thirties? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, because you lose a step. Well, why did you lose a step? Well, maybe if I undid the bolt a little bit and I don't transmit force to the same level as I was a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, uh, I'm just going to end up injuring myself. And that's usually when injuries start. You know, if you look at the average age of injury amongst athletes, um, you know, where it's non-contact injury, like obviously Mm -hmm. if you get run into a tree or you run into a football player, uh, that's a different scenario. But yeah, most, most injuries start to add up when you're getting into that sort of, you know, call it really fourth decade. So as you're turning 30, getting into your forties and because you have a senior audience as well, right. Where it's like, you know, they don't like to be called seniors. Like I consider myself at 50, a senior relative to, you know, average lifespan. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, how do we, how do we maintain performance as we get older? Well, you, you gotta be getting more tight, right. Increasing that tension, that stiffness, not so much. Basically let's reduce that stiffness because that's where, you know, injuries occur. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So no, Steve man, gave,
0: yeah. Sorry, yeah, Steve
1: gave you some, uh, Steve Maxwell, Steve Maxwell, you said, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Gave you some great advice, man. Gave you some great advice.
0: No. Yeah. His, yeah. uh, his, his background is really interesting. He's been training for like 50 years, you know, he's uh, in his sixties approaching seventies, still in like really good, you know, shape. Uh, and his his journey was like, man, I started with isometrics, you know, when I first started training back in the, in the fifties or, you know, sixties or wherever, and then he did all the other stuff, you know, throughout all the years, uh, you know, the bodybuilding and the kettlebell lifting and the power lifting and the, all this stuff. And then he ended up coming back to isometrics, finally realizing like, man, I never should have left in the first place. Like, you know, we had it yep. figured out back in the day. And I, I think that's something that people don't really realize is there was a period of time in the fifties and the sixties where, um, isometric training was very popular and oh, it was, it was yeah, highly researched and, and very popular, and and then it, it fell out of favor. Like, do you have any, I guess, kind of insights into that, or I guess what, like, what's your, your theories as to, like, kind of what the, the, the cycle of isometrics? Like, what, what made it fall out of favor?
1: Uh, well, two things. Um, so, first and foremost, it, um, basically, York Barbell uh, was a company, Bob Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he was huge into isometrics and they basically proclaimed isometrics be the, the you know, the next coming of, you know, the almighty, uh, because of the unbelievable strength gains and everything like that. But then unfortunately, um, the bodybuilding community was also linked to steroid use, right? So everyone sort of said, Hey, all the, um, all these massive benefits and gains that we're seeing, well, you're also doing steroids, Um, So that's where it came from. And yes, steroids do work and I'm not an advocate for them, but they do work. And then but basically a couple of years later, it's like, okay, well, we've now disproven. You can still have massive, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent strength gains by doing isometrics in a small period of time without steroids. So it's like, cool. You just don't get big and freakish. And, you know, so you have that. And then you also have the rise of the fitness industry. Right. Like in the 60s and 70s, fitness wasn't a thing. Then Arthur Jones, who was one of the biggest names in fitness, uh, created a cam, right, to basically pull over and do like a dumbbell pullover um, was his first basic machine. And then he started Nautilus Corporation um, and then Nautilus basically blew up and that all of a sudden became a way to sell dynamic exercise equipment. And then that was the rise of basically everyone going, oh, I need to do dynamic exercise. And they started going away from isometrics. And when you visually look at isometrics, it appears like you're doing nothing. It appears boring. It appears like, how is that going to achieve anything? We're humans. We're designed to move. No, we're designed to contract muscle. Like I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, oh, oh, yeah forgot about that part of the equation. Motion is an opportunity to express that, you know, that tension, as you, you mentioned earlier. And it's like, okay, well, if I need to move, and yes, you do need to move, but you got to prepare for that motion. Um, so that's one thing. So you had basically the rise of uh, dynamic exercise. So that's one thing, you had that linking to steroid use. And then in 1968, you had Arthur Jones come out with the term, or not Arthur Jones, sorry, Dr. Kenneth Cooper, come out with Mm -hmm. the term aerobics, Mm -hmm. right? So, and Dr. Kenneth Cooper and a guy named Bill Stubb uh, basically brought forth the first commercial treadmill, right? So it's all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now we have... Walking indoors, we made it available. So walking. Then we had uh, Arthur Jones bringing out all the selectorized equipment, or the Nautilus equipment turned into selectorized equipment. It's like okay, so movement, movement, more movement. We've had movement jammed down our throat for so long, uh, but yet we're ill prepared to move. Uh, and you can look at the <laughs> you can look at the evolution of poor health. Right. And you can almost link it to directly the rise of the fitness industry, the rise of the promotion of dynamic exercise. And I know that everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, that's so untrue. Look at the data. You know, in 1990, there was nine thousand gyms in the United States of America. In 2016, there was roughly thirty eight thousand gyms in 1990, America's obesity rate was 10 percent. Um, In 2016, it was like something like 38%. And now it's approaching 50%. It's actually gotten worse. Um, So you can look at that and you go, okay, how are we failing in the promotion of exercise um, as a whole? And you go, well, people, if they're, if they get injured when they exercise as a young person, they're going to have basically a phobia to exercise. So it's like, well, let's avoid it. Well, that's not good. Um, And then it's like, you go to the gym environment, it's like, hey, you know, we're going to sell you on this and hopefully you never come in. Right. So they have a bad taste. They have a very bad taste in their mouth um, about how are we going to prescribe this? And now we're getting to a point where it's like, you know, we have TVs, we have music, we have all this fit entertainment stuff, where it's like, let's just distract them. And maybe they won't even know um, that they're actually moving Um, versus having a conscious approach to sort of say, you know what, let's actually learn how to contract muscle. Before I move, let's take a a step back and say, what is the problem um, with movement? It's, you're not strong enough and you're not stable enough. So if you're not strong enough, you can't hold withstand loads. And if you're not stable enough as you accelerate and move, you actually accelerate degenerative change because you have instability with structure. And when you have instability with structure, all of a sudden you're now gonna look at it and go, oh, okay, well, if I'm unstable, That usually is a bad thing, right? And all dynamic movement, and this is a function of physics, not Brad's opinion, all dynamic movement has to be unstable or you don't move, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, okay, cool. So how do we make it more stable? Well, you get stronger isometrically uh, because every phase of a joint range is a different opportunity to have isometric muscle strength. It's just intention Right. Like if you jump up and down, you have a choice when you land to spring back up or you can actually just absorb the shock and don't you don't have to go up. Right. So there's things like when they're talking about like a stretch response or basically a, a stretch shortening cycle in muscle function. That's an opportunity. You don't it doesn't have to rebound. You, you have mm-hmm. a choice to say, hey, I don't want to do this. Um, So that's why people are like doing box jumps and all this sort of stuff. They don't just spring off. Um, So these are things that we have to look at when we're looking at the exercise industry. And why, why did we move away from dynamic or why did we move away from isometrics, right? There's many factors, but it comes from, it's no longer taught in schools. Right. So there's no there's no exposure in youth uh, to isometrics where before it was a component of both military service training um, as well as a very, very popular and, and taught in schools where it's like, you know, here's your programming. Here's your 16 different exercises. Uh, the Canadian military had a, a massive program that went worldwide. So it was part of the conversation. Do isometrics um, and then do your dynamic exercise. Cool. And now if we can get back to that, the the rate of injury amongst athletes, um, cyclists will dramatically decrease. The the amount of pain they experience will decrease. Um, You know, there's a natural analgesic effect to pain or sorry, um, to pain, which is caused by isometric exercise. Right. So when you can actually increase the stability of structure, well, pain goes away. Right. But if you think of, um, you know, if you walk over to your electrical outlet where your light switches or your light plug is plugged in and you just pull that out a little bit, like you stretch it a little bit. Well, the light doesn't work as well. How do you fix it? Well, you push it in. You take this, you take that stuff off, you know, and plug it back in. Um, So there's a lot of things with pain science coming out uh, that will sort of revert back to, hey, maybe if we actually A, got rid of the the activities that are injuring us and reduce the exposure to those activities if we better prepared ourselves for those activities that led to greater levels of exposure um, we would reduce pain Um, and then we throw in the fact that as we shrink well we need to be able to maintain the structural integrity of where we are held in space right and these are things that we overlook uh, we avoid um, or we just simply didn't know we were supposed to do Um, and so isometrics I mean it's Um, you know, and I know I'm singing to the choir with you here, here's a way that we can basically take away, um, much pain, poor health, poor performance. Um, we, we, we can basically help people transform their lives, um, in a very, very safe, effective and efficient manner, as opposed to like, you know, telling somebody they got to go to the gym three times a week, you know, it's like. It doesn't work. We've proven that. Um, let's come up with like, hey, do ten minutes of isometrics a day, uh, but a day. You know, don't take a day off. You don't need one. Let's reestablish right. that that communication from your brain to that muscle, uh, so that way it participates, not just mid thigh pull. Uh, that's that's all the the rage right now in uh, you know sports science and everything. They do an isometric mid thigh pole which is a high position deadlift, really? And they go, hey, cool, that's one position out of a possible 750 billion that human body's capable of uh, you know, actually creating. So let's have a whole body approach to isometrics. Let's stabilize your neck, right? Like most people may never do any neck training, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, your, shoulder, your shoulder attaches to your neck. So if the foundation of your neck isn't stable, your shoulder never will. Um, the neck, as an example, is also the top portion of your spine. Uh, or actually it's not the top that your head's the top but if you have low back issues right and you guys when you're cycling you know you're sort of forward bent um, you know high knee flexion um or high hip and knee flexion but you're usually hunched over the handlebars you don't, you guys aren't sitting upright uh you know in perfect posture as you're cycling so it's like okay well as soon as you bend forward you now have shear force going against your vertebral bodies is did you take the time to strengthen your back to prepare for that longer ride right? Like, you know, what's the average length of a downhill, you know, um, you know, run for you guys.
0: Oh, I mean, you know, that's the thing with mountain biking. Like you got downhill racers who maybe, you know, have like a three to five minute super high intensity, uh, downhill run. Um, the neck thing for them is actually pretty interesting because, you know, they're wearing a full face helmet, which creates, you know, uh, weight on yep. the end of the lever. And so, uh, then also just having to survive crashes. I saw you actually posted, a a study uh not too long ago that looked at isometric strength and brain injuries or uh or or like the relationship between that and you actually pointed out how the the abstract had already scrubbed out the word isometrics um you know yeah it's brutal brutal. yeah yeah So, so people think that like oh i just need to improve my neck strength instead of you realizing like no actually the study looked at isometric neck strength and and showing uh, a reduction in, in brain injuries that, uh, you know, the higher your, your isometric neck strength was. Um, and so that, uh, so anyway, so yeah, that's definitely, you know, improving the isometric strength of the, the entire body is, uh, definitely something that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of. And, you know, the neck strength is something that a lot of riders don't really consider doing. And and I'd say like, man, movement-based training with the neck is a prescription for freaking more neck pain. You know, (laughs) like if you really want to get your neck strong and do it in a way that's not going to improve, increase pain or or even risk uh, causing pain, then isometrics are pretty much like it. And that's pretty much all I do for, for my neck training. Um, And, you know, and having done traditional neck training where you've got the, you know, trying to do your head movements and stuff under load, it's like, holy crap, that's uh, um, not the best way to go about it. But um, yes, yeah, it's just, it's unnecessary risk. And if you look at some of the importance of neck training, right, and
1: this is where understanding like muscular anatomy is really important, right? Like you have a muscle on the front of your neck called your longus coli. It goes from basically C1, which is your top level of your cervical spine down to T3. So that covers off basically 10 levels of your spine, right? And you only got 24 of them. Um, if you're looking at basically cervical spine, thoracic spine and lumbar spine and disregarding the sacrum and the coccyx, right? So you look at them and you go, well, 10 out of 24, that's almost 50%. So it's about 42%. But then you have muscles in the back of your spine, like back of your neck that basically go to stabilize your neck structure. They go from your occiput to the back of your head. And you mentioned that forward head, you got your big helmet on, right? So these muscles are hugely important if you're not doing neck training, um, but you're basically your longissimus cervicus, So this thing out by the side, and it's also got a muscle division called your longissimus capitus. So the two of them combined go from basically your occiput to the back of your skull, down to below your shoulder blade, so down to about T6. So that covers off 58% of your spine. So it's like, oh, okay, well, if I'm choosing to leave 58% of my spine unstable, less optimized, Performance is going to be downgraded. And it's like, okay, if I'm a performance athlete and I know you deal with some of the best cyclists in the world, well, if we can get you, you know, get that muscle, those two muscles stronger, well, maybe I have a more stable neck. And I say, like, well, what is that going to do for me? Well, the protection of your central nervous system and the signaling, right? Because of your central nervous system is your brain and your spinal cord, right? And obviously your eyes. So there's really kind of three components to that central nervous system. So do I have the ability to control where my head is in space? Can I see that path better, clearer, without obstruction because, you know, my neck failed me, you know? So there's these different things I just got to look at. And when you're dealing with reaction time and, you know, thousands of seconds, You know, dynamic exercise or dynamic muscle contractions always fire after isometrics, right, or that isometric contraction. So it's like, well, you need to upregulate that tension and that ability to generate that tension faster if you want to optimize human performance at the highest of levels or even on the recreational level where it's like impact force. One of the things University of Michigan, I mean, this was specific to basically head impact, more so for football versus you know, uh, mountain biking. But if you look at it and go, okay, if I'm going to hit the ground, if I'm going to hit a tree, if I'm going to hit you know, some sort of object, uh, branch um, on impact, if I can increase that activation rate of tissue, so it's less about the total strength of the tissue, it's more about how fast did I generate, you know, force within the structure. I reduce the risk of it, like basically, you know, concussion. I reduce impact of injury, and it also, you know, and severity is a, a, probably the wrong word, but it, it, it's it's going to impact you less than if you had an unstable neck, which is going to allow for acceleration. When you allow for greater levels of acceleration, the brain translates in the opposite direction as the skull, and that increases your likelihood of both traumatic brain injury, which is quite common, unfortunately, in cycling accidents, as well as concussion. Um, so it's like, let's just look and go, oh, before I go cycling, let's engage these uh, mountain biking, let's let's engage these muscles to be stronger. So to have a strategy in place um, and, you know, uh, another conversation will sort of sit down and talk about your atomic training program, because uh, I'm like, you know, I haven't actually looked at it. But it's like, how, how do we sort of add to that program where it's like, OK, well, let's explore 360 degrees around the neck. Let's explore 360 degrees around the trunk and spine. Let's explore 360 degrees around your shoulder complex and also your lower body stuff, right? Because it's heavily important that all of these muscles engage isometrically before you engage in dynamic activity. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to, you know, if you want an energy bleed. Um, you know, which is quite common in, you know, uh, performance training, where it's like, if you have this energy bleed, you're not going to transmit force better, right? So as you guys sort of, you know, generating uh, power to go up a hill or up a run, or to jump over something, like, you got to be like, the stronger you are isometrically, the more power you guys can generate. Um, You know, it must be time almost to hang with my dogs. Um, The, yeah, the, the, so it's, it's about how do, how do we just maximize and optimize human performance, right? And it's, um, I'm not about, I'm not gonna tell you not to move. I'm gonna tell you how do you optimize uh, your preparation for movement so you move at an optimal level. So you can you know perform at that highest level as I, as I keep coming back to. Um, and that's one of the reasons people seem to keep calling me. Um, yeah. it's like, how, how, how do I optimize performance for this uh, sport? It's like, okay, cool. Well, let's focus on isometrics. Um, you know, I work with some of the top breakdancers dancers in Canada and all of a sudden. Um, why? And, you know, they're looking at 45 seconds of doing some of the coolest uh, maneuvers um, that your human body can capable of doing it. But every time they transition from a move to a move to move, it's all isometric based. Uh, you know, and if you take a photograph of somebody sort of spinning on their hand upside uh, down, you can analyze all these different joint ranges and muscle participations. And now it's like, okay, just add some triple force um and then you understand how, how you can sort of take isometrics and blow it into break dancing, blow it into mountain biking blow it into football blow it into lacrosse um, bodybuilding um, you know as you said you come from a strong brazilian jiu-jitsu background you know we work with some of the top brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters in the world yeah. um wh- why because uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu is almost the sport of isometrics right <laughs> it's like you know, because if you, if you lack isometric strength and you're pushing yourself into a position well, you, you tap, uh, um, yeah. if you can't overcome it or get out of it, or if you're looking at reaction time, um, how do I get, how, how do I get faster to get into that position? Um, you know, and it comes back to having a better firing rate, uh, it yep. comes back to isometrics holding, you know, what's your grip strength, right? And that, that could translate into rock climbing all of a sudden, you know, all, all of these different things where it's like, you know, it permeates every aspect but we were sort of discussing earlier and it's like you're you're sort of saying if you're we can't blame our basically our 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 tools we have we have to prepare our body to morph into whatever our tool is and it's like a lot of um you know people let's say you're an occupational athlete, you work at a desk and all this sort of stuff, we'll blame the mouse, we'll blame the desk, we'll blame the chair. But we very seldom ever actually look at at ourselves and say, am I prepared to sit at a desk for, you know, 40 hours a week? And, you know, active sitting and passively sitting, passively sitting will lead to injury and, you know, um, pain and stuff like that. But you can actively sit there for 40 hours and get 40 hours of isometrics, if you knew the thought process, Mm. uh, where all of a sudden you become a a metabolic machine. So sitting at a desk could be I'm tightening my abs, you know, I'm functionally not like pounding on my keyboard, but I'm holding my structure. Because if you lack the ability to internally rotate, you know, or pronate your wrist, you have to abduct your shoulder in order to type on a keyboard. And that's going to lead to shoulder pain, neck pain, back pain, versus, oh, I just maybe had to do a, a reverse curl, if you will. So pronating your wrist and flexing your elbows to prepare yourself to tight. right? Same handlebar position, right? For a cyclist or yeah. a mountain biker, you know, did I take the time to engage these muscles? I not, might not know the names of in order for them to optimize my performance reaction time. And, you know, unfortunately impact resiliency, you know, when you fall, because uh, it's, it's a, you know, I liked your thing. It's, it's not a question of when, but how bad or whatever yeah. it was you, uh, be able, for the injury. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, those that have crashed and those that are waiting to crash is the, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And for me, that was like,
1: yeah, it's so true. And I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not saying don't do activities. That's not what I'm saying. And I hope nobody heard that. I, I what I want people to do is start preparing for the activities that they love to do. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things that we, we fail on. And, you know, we have a bunch of courses in place where it's like, okay, well, let's te- teach you the fundamentals of isometrics, right? How does isometrics apply to first and foremost, just muscle function because most professionals don't even know that part. So let's bring it back to there. Let's teach you how to actually increase peak force, to teach you tendon resiliency, right? Like how does your tendon become stiffer? Because that muscle transmit force into the tendon, the tendon moves the bone. So without that sort of link in between, you know, performance goes down. So we teach people how to basically optimize all of those processes um, and then apply to the sport or activity that you love to do you know, so for the, um, the, the, strength coaches of the world, um, it's a great program for the exercise enthusiasts. Well, we got programs coming out that are guild geared, geared towards them where it's like, Hey, here's a master class on, you know, call it cycling mechanics or downhill, um, downhill mountain biking, you know, let's look at those. And, you know, the reason I mentioned that, cause we're, we're going to do some, we're going to collab and do some programming. Um, nice. because I, I think, I, th- I think that's going to be pretty awesome. you know, obviously I just threw that in your face. So hopefully uh, you say yes. And, um, you know, because we you have access, I have information uh, and we can help a ton of people get better. So, yeah. and, and quickly, yeah. and quickly, like we're not, we're, we're not talking months. We're talking like, you know, within two weeks, you'll notice a, a massive difference in your performance. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yep. Well, right on, Brad. I know you've got a uh, a hard stop coming up. I gotta uh, let you go. Um, so, but man, I really appreciate your your time. I, I definitely one. Uh, yeah, I'd love to collaborate with you on some stuff. That would be uh, awesome. Um, and you know, definitely love to have you on again because there's definitely a lot of uh, you know other things I like to talk about. Some questions that pop in my head as we're as we're going that I'd love to dig into more. Um, but before I let you go. Uh, people can find out more at isofit.com. Uh, That's I-S-O-P-H-I-T.com. I'll include the link in the show notes and they can find out more about the, the, your, the, the Isofit uh, I mean, machine, I guess, is, what do you, what do you, what device, like what do you, what do you refer to it as?
1: Uh, so we have uh, basically the Isofit strength trainer. Uh, we have the Isofit MSK, which is a portable device. Um, and then we have basically a, a steel version of that, which is far less portable. But uh, basically, they're just uh, isometric training devices where we're able to restrain all human joint motion uh, for a myriad of exercises um, for pretty much any goal, whether it's cardiovascular training, muscle enhancement, rehab, all the way through. It's they call it the one stop shop of um, exercise equipment, really. Um, yes. It's just how, how do you how do you program it, whether, you know, force or time? Um, And it's all those little things. And, you know, it's for for a different discussion. um, So we won't even mention that even in an isometric environment, you're training your dynamic system. Um, But we'll leave you we'll we'll leave you there because people will be like, what? It gets (laughs) gets, when you start to unpack this, it gets wicked complicated and fun. Um, But at the end of the day, we're teaching people how not to move to upregulate isometric tension. So, you know, learn how to contract muscle, then move. Um, that's the simplest way I can look at it. Uh, James, I appreciate everything you're doing for your community and I look forward to, uh, you know, uh, being a part of it. So thank you.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate your time. So go ahead and uh, wrap up here and I will talk to everybody next time.